0: the skinny podcast only on local 12.com now here's richard skinner
1: Welcome into another Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pre edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports commas and editor, as always with Rick Browning, we got a busy time of the year. It's the crossover time. A lot of college basketball to talk about, uh, Bengals and NFL to talk about, college football to talk about, and much, much more. We've got our weekly betting picks at the end of the segment. We've got some college basketball we've thrown in there again for this week. So we've got a ton to get to, and what a day to do a podcast after a busy couple of nights of college basketball, Rick.
0: I couldn't wait to get to this first topic. Skinny Kentucky shot just 43% from the field, including four of 17 from three point range, and had 13 turnovers as the Wildcats lost to Evansville 67 64 at Rupp Arena Tuesday night, shortly after receiving that number one ranking, fresh off their victory over Michigan State. The Purple Aces, by the way, are coached by former UK standout Walter McCarty. What a beard, by the way, what a beard! Great beard guy. Skinny, how concerned should Kentucky fans be about Tuesday night's loss to Evansville?
1: I would normally say I wouldn't be, because it's just early in the year. We know how early in the year college basketball goes. I just don't know if this team's very good. I don't know if they have elite
0: talent. Okay, but how do you then reconcile that with them beating Michigan State?
1: I don't think Michigan State was very good that night. Um, and I'm not so sure how good they are. That's the thing. I, I'm not sure who was who an elite team this year.
0: Well, I think that's... Usually,
1: usually we can point to five, maybe seven, sometimes ten teams and go, oh, those are the elites. I don't know who that is this year. Do you?
0: I think that's the maybe the more interesting point about college basketball so far with what we've seen. You know, with the Champions Classic, they throw all those teams together for one night to give us some Which is sort cool. of we talked about that opinions. It's probably a little too early in the year to actually know, but at the same time, it gets us talking. And what it's, the conversation has kind of been centered around: there is no clear cut number one dominant team, and I don't even know who I'd like. I don't even know who I would say is the number one yeah. team after seeing these guys.
1: Um, when, when, when you look at this team, you know usually you can look and it's been the one and done era, right? You can point to three or four guys that are definitely one and done guys. Do they have a guy like that, in your opinion?
0: I think Tyrese Maxey is
1: one and done. Okay, do you think he's a one and done? You think he's one and done capable, I guess is my question.
0: Yeah, I do. Okay. I mean, I think we're getting a high l- level one and done? Yeah, I mean it's not a, it's not a guarantee, but I think I think uh, I think he's definitely gonna be a first round. But I, I
1: but I think usually on that on a, on Kentucky teams you have more than a guy, right? You have a handful of guys, and the talent is just usually really really good.
0: Well, I mean I think they have three or four NBA guys for sure on this team. I, don't you? I don't know. No, I don't. I honestly wow. don't. Well, I think, I think they're better than that. I, do, um, I know they're
1: hamstrung right now in practice because they're missing three or four guys in injury, so you're not, you're not able to put a full five-on-five practice together for the most part. Um, I do get some of that. Maybe they ought to bring Ahmad Wagner off the football team. He played basketball at Iowa for a short period of time. So I do know you're hamstrung with that. Um, you know, last night would have been a nice time to have E.J. Montgomery be able to play, and, and he didn't play. But I, I, I don't know. Who's, we were talking about who's their playmaker? I mean Maxi, I guess, but on a night when he doesn't shoot it well, and there's going to be nights like that. Who else is there?
0: Yeah, we've seen a lot of Calipari teams that struggled to get the lid off the basket. You know, didn't have shooters, had too many athletes, but, us- had too but, but, young but usually they've had
1: somebody inside to, to reconcile
0: that. Sometimes, um, but and they've suffered through some usually it's more close calls than actual losses like this early in the season but we've seen some uk teams where they'll sleepwalk through an early non-conference bye game or two especially at home um, when you know the old folks at Rupp Arena sitting down low aren't aren't too into the games yet
1: I, so i don't and the students aren't too into those
0: games either let's No yeah. no yeah i mean the it, 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 that place it becomes a bit of a museum for games like this um, and i think that does hurt them a little bit but this is more about the fact that Kentucky is constantly trying to cobble together a roster, even if, yes, you had some guys returning this year, but you're bringing in a guy like Nate Sestina who's making a jump up from mid-major to high-major. You're still bringing in guys like Tyrese Maxey and some of these other guys that are supposed to play important roles on this team. So I I would not be worried yet because I think you look at it and it's like, okay, the defense was not good, right? That's just an unacceptable defensive performance from Kentucky but we know Cal is going to get these guys to play defense. That's what that's his specialty. He does that every year at a high level by the end of the season, so I'm not worried about that. The offense, that is a bigger concern to it me. It is. Because that always seems to be a bit of a concern with his teams, whether or not they can shoot. I think the
1: thing about last night's game, it wasn't like Evansville got out to a 19-point lead because they got hot and Kentucky made some you know big late-roaring comeback and just fell short. It wasn't like... Evansville shot it particularly well and and maybe maybe they came back it was it was honestly it was kind of sustained the whole way it was pretty much a close game from from the jump neither team really got away from the other and and I I just don't know if that 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 should happen at home I don't care how early in the year it is not to an Evansville
0: I don't think it's an inexcusable loss but at the end of the day like people want to like want blood when these things happen it's like well it's inexcusable it can't happen it's like Okay, well it did. So it now did. what? Yeah, it right? Did. Yeah. Like does it really mean anything different than if they would have snuck out a win in that game? Like you <laughs> can say it's inexcusable and it can't happen, but if they go on a run at the end of the year and make the Elite Eight or Final Four, we're never gonna remember that this game mattered. So I don't No one
1: has done less with more, my friend. No one in the world. Uh, I'm... No one has done less with more. I'm just saying.
0: I think that's a, a really difficult argument to say he hasn't done enough. But I do I didn't say that he done no one's done less with more. Well, no one's had as much and, as he's and, had. And
1: now so. he has a little less. So let's see what he can do with it. I, I think I think I, don't think I will say this, I think it is a little bit on him now. Let's see what you can get out of this group, because this is not your most talented group. It's probably out of all the years he's been there, I argue this might be the least one of the least talented groups. The Orleans group was bad when Orleans Noel got hurt. That was the team that went to the um to the NIT and lost to Robert Morris. Yeah, Archie um, Goodwin. Yeah. I, that
0: that team was and, not It was,
1: and Noel got hurt, so I'm going to give that team a pass because he was of NBA-level talent.
0: But you've also got to think, it's not just how talented is your team, it's also how talented is your team relative to the rest of college basketball. And I think all of college basketball is down a little bit because we don't have as many of those go-to five-star guys, and there's a guy or two that went to a random School this year as as you know talented freshmen you know like James Wiseman for instance being at Memphis they're not they're not all at all the blue bloods uh, stacked together like we've seen right. in the recent past so I think this year is a little bit different I still I, mean, was this to me, I think Kentucky is probably the most talented team in the country right now well <sighs> I, I who's who's more talented I, I don't than? know that's it's, it's, that's a, well, that's the issue yeah it's, it's, it you it just is saw Michigan issue. State who's supposedly the best team
1: yeah let me ask you when when you were looking at this recruiting class the class of what would have been class of twenty nineteen what was it thought of on AAU circles and national recruiting circles? Was it thought of as an average class? Was it thought of as a top-heavy class with a couple guys? Was it talked about? Because I don't remember this class getting talked about a whole lot. Yeah, I don't. Maybe because it was in
0: the shadow of the Zion group, I don't know. But yeah, I think that's the big thing: is you had such a big time class right ahead of it. You have some younger guys coming up. We've got this crazy thing going on right now in grassroots basketball with um, Imani Bates, who is a 2022 kid, I believe, and then LeBron James' son right, Ronnie, Ronnie, coming up with that group. There are some really talented kids in that age group, and more so the fact that it's you know like. Uh, Dwayne Wade's son is in that group. LeBron James' son is in that group. There's like these celebrity kids that have these massive followings. I mean, we're talking like more so than a lot of the NBA all oh, right, on Instagram right, right. And, and social media that there's a ton of focus centered on the younger kids right now, too. So I think, yeah, the combination of having like Zion and um, that class right before and then some of these younger guys coming up now, there is a, a class or two here has been kind of lost in the shuffle in terms of buzz just in general, and I don't know if that's warranted or not. And I, it
1: felt like the 19 class was, and I think you're seeing some of that come to fruition.
0: I, yeah, I think so, and I think that's probably right, but I also think it's always hard to judge these things ahead of time, right? Like We get midway through a year, and we have totally different opinions about the top 10 guys than we previously had. Like Last year's a little bit different when you have such a loaded class, right. where you have three, four, five clear-cut lottery guys that are one-and-done freshmen. And it played out that way. Right. But when you don't have that, which this year we clearly don't, I think it's really tough to judge that kind of thing ahead of time. Um, But I definitely think when you look across college basketball, the talent is down to a certain extent, and it's just not concentrated on the same teams.
1: And I think that's a good thing overall. I really do.
0: I think it's exciting right now. We have no idea who we think is the best team in the country. Yeah,
1: the problem is that when you're at this part of December, you're, or, or, or November rather, you're playing, there's so many bye games being played that you can't sort anybody out because very few teams are going head-to-head. Right. We'll and get some these, of that maybe later this month into December,
0: obviously. But And these games mean very little. The other thing you have is guys getting injured or being held out early because teams are being cautious. I mean, like I would have really liked to have seen Michigan State Respond from that Kentucky loss against Seton Hall with Miles Powell, right? But Miles Powell hurt, right. so that completely changes that game. Yeah, back
1: back to your original question. I just I I wonder that this might be one of the least talented teams he has, and are they able to overcome that lack of talent?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I just go back to uh, in terms of the rest of college basketball, the landscape overall. I think he has probably the most talented team in college basketball, or if not certainly in the top three to five teams. So I'm not too worried about him not having enough talent this year. Uh, I do think there are some question marks that you're having to rely on. Like Nate Sestina clearly has some issues defending, right? I mean, that got exposed in this game against a mid-major team. He's got to be better. I don't know if like his lateral quickness is something you can fix. So you're going to have to find ways to hide him. Um, You're going to have to get more rim protection out of guys like Nick Richards and stuff when he's fully healthy. So there's a lot of pieces – um that that need to come together but that's always the case with a John Calipari team so I'm going to say no you do not really need to be worried if nothing else just because no one else in college basketball has figured this thing out yet this year I
1: I just know this I'm taking $20 I'm going down Hollywood Casino today and I'm putting it on Evansville to get to the
0: final four what do you think the odds will be (laughs) I don't think they'll give you any (laughs) they may not I don't think there are odds for Evansville getting to the final four I'm sorry Skinny Xavier needed overtime to escape with a 63-58 win over Missouri at the CentOS Center Tuesday night. Missouri drilled the Musketeers 71-56 last season in Columbia, but the Tigers were also picked to finish towards the bottom of the SEC coming into this season. The Musketeers were just 3-21 of from three-point range with 16 turnovers in the win. So I ask you, does Xavier look like a different team to you? Or should Xavier fans be concerned about how much the offense has struggled again to start this season? I'd be concerned
1: because this is now going back to exhibition games where they just they can't shoot the basketball, yeah.
0: right? I mean, and, especially and all of last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah right, basically, right, right. Basically this, the same guy. This is a
1: carryover. Um, I guess the thing is that at what point, and I everybody always wants to use the metrics, and your boy Dan D'Antoni, he shouted down the media members who, who try to tell them that occasionally a mid-range jump shot is a good shot, because it is. At what point do you do you honestly just limit – shooting threes and say, listen, you, you attack to you as far as I, I, if it's got to be a 15 footer, we're going to make 15 footers. That's what we're going to shoot. We're just not going to jack up threes to jack up threes. And listen, I, I believe in the metrics, but the, the metrics are also telling me my team's a 25% three point shooting team, which this might be generous for this group. Then I can't be jacking up 21, 25, 27 a game.
0: But this is, I think this is also with where Xavier at is less about metrics um, in terms of the, you know, not wanting to take mid range jumpers versus taking threes instead or or close to the rim shots. But I think you can appreciate this as a coach. When the other team's game plan is, we're going to stack off everybody, we're not going to close out on shooters, and we're going to have eight feet in the paint you know i mean maybe one guy's outside the paint at any given time otherwise so so what do you do then because you can't just keep driving a lot of xavier's turnovers and bad offensive possessions are the result of them trying to force something into the teeth of defense that is packed in
1: maybe you run it through a low post guy maybe maybe you run something through a low post maybe you run things through through tyreek jones and when they when they do collapse on him instead of you being out at the three-point line you're 18 feet
0: in most of their possessions early yesterday tried I to know. go through the post, I, I like.
1: I think I think you you continue to evolve in that regard. I think the other thing is you got to get offense out of your defense. I mean, if you can't score and can't shoot it, the only other way you're going to create offense is with defense.
0: Well, and that's the interesting thing because the pack line defense is just not going right. To you're not going to create turnovers into points, but
1: you're going to have to think in terms um, of, of doing that, though, of, of changing some philosophies here.
0: And, that, and that's one of the interesting things and about And maybe this it's team. too early
1: to argue that, but I, 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 think, no, I, th- I think we've seen enough that this team just, they're not going to shoot the ball. I mean, look, this is going to be proved wrong, right? Because they're going to have a night where they go 11 of 18 and we're all going to think the thing's fixed or but, whatever, but, but it's But they not. can't
0: shoot. Right. They cannot shoot. No, I think I think it's not too early to have the conversation you, you just brought up. And I think that's sort of, sort of what I'm trying to get at here with this question is, do they need to, is it time to panic a little bit and try to do something different? Do they need to do something different defensively? Because... At this point, I think you have to realize that Quentin Gooden, Paul Scruggs, Najee Marshall as your main perimeter players kind of are what they are. It's not that they can't do better than you know, 17% or whatever they're shooting from three right now, but you know they're not going to be good shooters, and you know they're not going to have super high IQs and have great feel on the offensive end, so you're going to have to deal with their inefficiencies on offense. Do you change who you are then, or do you just say we can win in rock fights the way we just beat Missouri?
1: Yeah, and, and, and I guess that's, that is the conversation. You have four games before Cincinnati to test, test something different maybe. You've got Missouri State, Towson, Lipscomb, Green Bay four by games, four no matter, you can roll the balls out and you should win those games. I know Kentucky just got beat by Evansville, so yeah, anything can happen. I, I think you have to try, I think you have to at least look at it and say, okay, maybe we have to become a full-court pressure team. Maybe we have to have to trap more in the half-court. Maybe we have to create turn. Maybe, maybe we have to live with giving up a layup because we're trapping. But our trapping is also getting us 10, 12, 14 extra points a game that we're just not going to get if we have to run a set. Um, you know, I do think this team can probably push a little bit more because I do think it rebounds okay, and I think because of that, you're not worried about having to, to protect the offensive glass from the other team. You can get it and go, and maybe you, you do a little bit more of that. You push everything you can push. Um, get into some secondary break stuff because, honestly, if you have to get in the half-court offense and it winds up you jacking up a three – Against good teams, I just don't think that's going to end well. I know that Missouri's
0: not a good team. No, they're not a good team, but they, what they are— They do play that style of grind you down and, de- yeah. and defensively. Defensively, yes, yes. they are tough. They are yeah, physical, they you that. They make it ugly. They take you out of your rhythm. And they are a big, physical, athletic team. What happens
1: What happens when you play a Seton Hall and Miles Powell can make tough shots on you? What happens then?
0: Yeah, I mean, you could be in big trouble. But you also have uh, you know, a team in Seton Hall. like I, They can't defend the way Missouri can. So I do think Xavier can get to the rim— Get, draw some fouls. We saw that late in the year last year, right? When Xavier went on their run last year, the offense worked better, and it was because the defense never let down. Regardless of yeah. whether they were making or missing yeah. shots, the defense was always perfect, basically how it was against Missouri last night. But the offense, when it, when it got enough points by drawing fouls, getting in the lane, getting the ball on the post, getting Tyreek Jones going, running pick-and-roll stuff with him, they have to find ways to do that stuff but certain teams will be able to take that away from you better than other teams will. And Missouri, Cincinnati, last year Wisconsin, those were the types of teams that really just locked Xavier down and wouldn't let them do anything in the half court. Last year they had no chance against those teams. This year they've at least beat one of them so can, far.
1: Can Kai Kai help in the open court?
0: Yeah, he's definitely going to make a difference. But I do, I would caution fans, everyone seems to think, like, oh, when Jason Carter's back to 100% and Kiki Tandy is as healthy and he's in the lineup— Everything's going to change, and they're going to be good offensively. That's not how this works. Like substituting one guy into Mm -hmm. a a, a rotation of five at a time. Like Ryan Willard shot forty-two percent from three last year, which is pretty good, and that wasn't enough. Right? Like they still couldn't shoot at all as a team. So I think um, I think they're still going to struggle regardless. Now Paul Scruggs isn't going to shoot as poorly as he shot to start the year. Najee Marshall should get better as the season goes on, and then adding, you know, Jason Carter making a few. Kiki Tandy making some off the bench, that will help. But again, this is not going to be a, a prolific offensive team.
1: Yeah. I, I I still think this is a good team. I think again, maybe they do be true to themselves and you just try to win rock fights. I, I know that pains you to have to watch that.
0: <laughs> it's it's hard to watch. And and I get it from fans. Like the fans who are frustrated with this and didn't like what they saw last night, I get that. But I also tell you just to strap in because it's not really going to change a whole lot. This is kind of the personnel they have. And they knew that going in. Like Travis Steele talked about that last night. He said, you know, the Warriors were great shooters with Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. And now they don't have all those guys. They look a little bit different, don't they? Yeah. And he was basically saying, like, Yeah, we want to shoot the ball really well, and we did so when we had those guys on our roster. But you don't have them. Right. We're trying to recruit them again, but right now we don't have them. This is what we have, and we like these guys, but they're just different.
1: Um, Lastly, and probably a bigger question, I have not looked at numbers on this. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm guessing you haven't either. Um, and, and I'm doing this off of some sample sizes of just watching a handful of games and, and seeing Kentucky not shoot it well and seeing Xavier not shoot it well. Do you think the line has had any effect, the, the, the fact it's moved back? It, you, yeah. you know it's going to have some effect, right? It's, yeah. That's why you moved it back. You wanted it to have an effect. But is it having maybe a ma- bigger effect than we think? Just because, again, the muscle memory of that, it's a lot different.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing a lot of teams have really bad shooting performances. you know, And we always see some ugly basketball early, Yes, but you're seeing a lot of, really, really bad shooting performance where, like, you know, teams are going four for 25 and stuff like that, where it's like, eh, this, this seems a little worse than you would expect. And and that same goes for Xavier. Like, the, the line being moved back is not Xavier's issue. That's not why they're missing three-pointers. They're not a good shooting team. At the same time, they might not be shooting 21% and be almost dead last in the NCAA. They might be shooting 24% and be almost dead last in the NCAA. Yeah, right,
1: right. <laughs> Hashtag embrace the mid-range game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Xavier does a fair amount of that. When you have Paul Scruggs, you have I think Nigel is a great good. mid-range player. I, yeah, think, I and, think he's great. And they want him to play in the mid-range, um, but it's also, he has to be smart. It can't be driving into the teeth of defense with three guys converging on him and losing the ball and turning it over. Because yeah. he turns the ball over a right. lot, too, trying to force things. Yep. Skinny Ryan Finley lost his NFL debut as the Bengals fell to the Ravens 49-13 on Sunday. The rookie quarterback was 16-30 for for 167 yards with a touchdown and an interception. He had a quarterback rating of 66.9 for the game. What did you make of Ryan Finley's debut with the Bengals? I thought he looked very much like Jeff Driscoll. I mean, he's he's, geeking. I don't know. Jeff Driscoll looked pretty good in, in his other debut. Still took another L, though. Yeah, he did.
1: Um. I mean if anybody expected anything miraculous from Ryan Finley you were kidding yourselves. You know I, I the, the the pick 6 was was clearly a rookie mistake. Um he had a veteran corner that just absolutely baited him into making that throw. He doesn't have the arm strength to make that throw in a tight window. Um and he tried it. The fum the sack fumble. Look, he by the time he looked up a guy was right in his grill. He had no chance to secure the football. Um so I'm going to give him a pass for those two. I know it's hard because it, it literally scored two touchdowns for the opposition. Um You know he doesn't have. Oh, they're still throwing footballs in a phone booth. They don't have a. They don't have a downfield threat to take the top off the defense. So just like Andy has no downfield threat, he doesn't have the arm to throw it downfield either. Look, I think he. I think he showed of what he is. He can be maybe a capable backup quarterback in this league. He's not going to be a franchise changer. And yeah, I realize he's going to get, you know, maybe seven more weeks to change our minds. I honestly don't see that happening. Do I see some pockets of success? Sure. I mean, if you're a capable backup quarterback in the league, if you're going to be on a roster as that, you got to have some success or else they'll just turn the page on you. Um. So I think he was that. He is not suddenly, you know, I know everybody liked the change because it's the thing that everybody likes. The quarterback sucks, and that means that or the team sucks, and it's, it's the quarterback's fault always. Um, was Sunday Ryan Finley's fault? No. Sunday was not Ryan Finley's fault. Did he play well? No. But did he play bad? No. Um, he played like Jeff Driscoll.
0: That's Here's the issue with this whole situation, and again... I'm pretty much for the Bengals making this change. I think they pretty much. Yeah, I, I thought Jordan. that was a
1: rough spot to put him in, to be honest with you. But yeah, I didn't necessarily care with
0: the timing, but I didn't really care that it happened I didn't because either. there was nothing I'm really with you. to play for. Nothing else to watch with Andy Dalton playing. Um, Ryan Finley, you wanted to see what you had to an extent. At the same time, I don't think we're going to be able to find anything out about Ryan Finley because I still go back to the same thing I've been saying with Andy Dalton all season long. He has no chance. Right. We we're not finding anything out about Ryan Finley because. It's not on him. Whether, sorry, he can make a play or two here and there, but for the most part. He's just trying to keep his head above water. He's just trying not to get hit as soon as the ball is snapped. He's just trying not to turn the ball over on every. Yeah, bit, and they did a nice and they
1: did a nice job protecting him late. And I disagree with Joe Mixon running it 30 times in a blowout. I think that's just absolutely foolish. If you want to run it that many times, put Gio in there. I know he was hurt. Put Travion Williams and give him a chance. While you're running your best player 30 times in a blowout, but a lot of that was they weren't going to let Ryan Finley drop back down by that score and let him get the pressure he was going to face. And I, I give them the credit for that part of it. I'm not going to I'm not going to put the kid under undue pressure but my god almighty what are you doing running mixing 30 times
0: and that just goes back to how nothing feels like it has a plan and no one's in charge with this team like everything they're talking out of both sides of their mouth they did it with the whole we're not tanking we're playing for wins but we're also taking andy out of the starting quarterback role and on we're going to evaluate guys and evaluate guys like all, and now you know they're get, they just cut preston brown which a good decision but again this Who all, replaces him right this all speaks to we're obviously looking at the future and tanking and everything else. And that's fine. But if you were going to make
1: these moves, then you should have made the you moves sh- at the, de- the deadline. You should have
0: been active oh my gosh, trying almighty. to do whatever you could. And and that's the same thing I see with like the Joe Mixon thing. Like There seems to be no plan in place. You knew you were putting in a rookie quarterback. You knew you weren't going to want him to be dropping back constantly against the Ravens' defense. You knew it could get ugly. And your only solution was to just... Put Joe Mixon in harm's way in a game that didn't mean anything? God love
1: him, man. He took that rock 30 times, and he was running hard at the very end. I mean, I'll tip my cap to that cat. I mean, he really – he was still sticking his nose in there.
0: I I, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. That's the stuff that drives me crazy about this team. And actually, it's kind of a a good segue to another one of our topics that I wanted to bring up. Firing a coach after one year seems like a knee-jerk reaction and a really bad precedent to set, but – the Bengals are also in much worse shape than anyone expected coming into the season. We keep seeing instances like this where there seems to be no direction, no plan, anything. And there's been a lot of drama surrounding the team, which that always happens when you're 0-8. But there's still a lot going on inside the locker room at Paul Brown Stadium. Should the Bengals consider firing Zach Taylor after just one year?
1: No, they're not. A, a they're not going to because it's, they not, they it's won't not their do style. It because of but who but, they but are. I know how you asked the question. They? Yeah, you asked the question, should they? Know? Um, because I, I, I still can't fully evaluate. Him, I, I. There are instances that I think show he's in over his head at times. I mean, that the fourth down where the punt team runs on the field and he is then at the last second decided, no, I want to go for it. Um, I think there's a lot on his plate. He's trying to look at a play call sheet right on four. Okay, I, I, in his mind, I want to go for it. It's fourth and two. I'm looking for a fourth and two call because the clock's running, right? And all of a sudden, I look up, and Darren Simmons assumes we're going to punt. It's fourth and two. The punt team goes out. No, wait a minute. Offense goes back on. Well, they do use a kicking ball, so they had to get the kicking ball off, bring the regular ball on. That starts rolling around the field. By the time that takes place, you got to burn a timeout. Was it a major deal that they had to burn a timeout? No. But I think it shows there's so much on this dude's plate that – I think it's hard to manage all of that. I really do. I, I think. I mean, if you're a veteran and you've been through it, that's fine. But I mean, through all the stuff this guy's dealing with, um, it, it's a lot. And and so listen is the
0: again, I, there that he needs more help in terms of play calling. I,
1: I, if it was me, I would. I, we've asked him the question before. He doesn't want to do it. I mean, doesn't want to give it up. But I mean, at some point. Somebody either needs to run the game or run the offense, one or the other. I mean, that's that's just the NFL today. This isn't many moons ago where you could get away with some of that stuff. You today's NFL, you need an overseer. There's so much going on in a game that somebody needs to oversee those type of things. How about
0: especially if you're an embarrassment of a franchise who has a reputation of not being able to get out of their own way and constantly stepping on themselves? Yeah,
1: Um, I I don't think he should be fired because, again, I I can't evaluate if he's a good coach. I think he has done a good job of keeping that locker room together. I do believe that, Um, and that's despite... Cordy Glenn acting the fool and that's despite whatever's going on with AJ Green. Um, I, I've I, I, Sunday was probably the first time I saw a handful of plays where I thought guys took plays off.
0: You know, yeah, I think and, the and entire defense took he, the game off.
1: Well, yes to some degree. I th- I I'll be interested to watch over the next few because there's there's nothing else he can say any longer. I mean, it, it's almost like there's always been something different along this losing streak way, which was we're still grinding guys are still trying, we'll get guys healthy. Well, you didn't get your some of those guys healthy. And after the bye week it was, "All right, let's start Ryan Finley," right? We saw what Ryan Finley, he didn't change the defense. I mean, where, where else can you go from here to have anything to hang your hat on, he's right?
0: Gone, he's gone through 15 years' worth of Marvins, sayings and excuses in eight games. Right. So, I mean, we're already right. through all the cliches. Right, and- right. So forth.
1: Yeah, no, right. Um, I think he's answered a lot of questions as honestly as, he, as he's able to. I think some of it is he's not able to answer some of that. He's not. It's not his position to answer what's going on with A.J. Green, other than he's not out here. stated. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I, I get that. Right. Um, he can't answer for Cordy Glenn. The Cordy Glenn situation is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Literally, the guy went through the full week, took part in every single practice, and then was listed as questionable with a concussion. What? That that's that because he's clear from, he's not, he's not under concussion protocol any longer. he's out. So how are they able to list him as such?
0: I, I do not understand that situation. I don't understand how he's still on the roster. Like, I get it because it's money, but...
1: But you just I mean, whacked Preston Brown. Let's right, whack your you already do Yeah, you're already going to pay the guy anyway. If you're it gonna, doesn't matter. If you're going to pay him not to play, which is what they're doing right they're literally paying him to be inactive every week. They and, just cut him. You're going to pay him anyway. It can
0: be a cancer in your locker room or, at the very minimal, a bad influence in the locker room. And it's like you're trying to say all these things about culture and what you want to build, and then you just keep that guy around because of money. That is... Again, talking out of both sides but, of your mind. But market. here's the
1: thing. Is it his decision? I don't care whose it is. We don't know who I know, it but, but, but if we're evaluating him on something like this, yeah, yeah, if this fair. is not his decision, he's just got to deal with it. He can't He, he sign
0: up to him to cut the guy. Fair. And and that's why uh, maybe, again, I, I feel like they should be considering firing Zach Taylor. And I don't think he should be fired necessarily. But like you talked about this when they were making the hire. And one of the big concerns you had with them hiring Zach Taylor is – Marvin Lewis at least had the gall to stand up and say, no. He had, he had the I, cachet I, to do that. Right. I We know this is not going to happen. I need to do it this way, or we can't make this concession. And granted, he didn't get everything he wanted by any stretch of the imagination. That much is clear. But he got more than most. But exactly. He was able to keep them in line to a certain extent, it seemed like. Right now, it seems like the Brown family is going full clown on this organization, and I, I mean, I just, I don't know that Zach Taylor is in a position where he can do anything about it. And that might not be on him. I agree that the the roster was so bad that he really couldn't have won with it anyway. But I also think they probably shouldn't be 0-8 right now.
1: They they got wowed by the Rams and Sean McVay and thought that anybody that sat at the right hand of Sean McVay is going to be the same offensive genius. Well, A, he doesn't have the same personnel here. And maybe he's not. I, I, I'm going to tell I'm going to give you stats. One of my favorite ones right now. He has now lost 14 straight games as a play caller. The last five at UC, and these nine in a row. I, I know he was dealt a bad hand at UC too, but at what point do you say, I can't do all of
0: this? Right. Well, and look at the 49ers too. Like, granted, I normally would say, it's a bad idea because who's going to want your job if you've got a reputation of just hiring a guy and firing before you ever gave him a chance? But 49ers kind of did that route yeah. and it seemed to have worked out from them. When you see a guy who clearly doesn't Arizona have went it, that Arizona went that route and clearly can't cut it and clearly isn't in control of the situation, I think you may have to make it. Yeah, quick I just yeah,
1: I I just can't fairly evaluate him because the roster's so bad. I don't disagree Especially with you on that. Especially on the other side of the ball.
0: And I'll be honest, if he if he did, if he were to get fired, which he won't, the Bengals no. will never do this. No. But if he were to get fired, I would feel bad for the guy that he really never got a fair shot, but I also wouldn't think it was the wrong move by the Bengals if they were to do it.
1: Yeah, I, but then here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to follow that up with another question to you. Do you trust him to make the right hire the next time around? No, of course not. There you go.
0: But I think that at this point, I mean, like I would have said the same thing about those other organizations as well when they were in their situations. And sometimes you just get lucky, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean. Sometimes. Maybe. maybe. All right, back to the quarterback situation here. With Finley taking over, Andy Dalton getting benched, and tons of talk about the upcoming draft, there's been a lot of focus on the Bengals quarterback situation this month. It's also brought about a lot of hypotheticals. So one of my favorites that I just had this week that I wanted to get your thoughts on was, could Tom Brady post a winning record with the Bengals' current roster? And I think this speaks to the overall question that we've kind of had a lot here over the last two weeks, which is how much of it is really on the quarterback versus – how much are they have no chance because this team is so bad. I think they could have
1: won a couple games. I mean, Andy missed that throw to Tyler Eifert in what game was it? The Buffalo or the Arizona game? One of those games. I think Tom Brady makes that throw. That's a touchdown. Um, you know, maybe Tom Brady doesn't, doesn't have the ball slip out of his hands like Andy did in Seattle, and they win that game because it was close. But unless Tom Brady can clone himself and play linebacker in all three spots, no. No, this team— Honestly, defensively, you 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 aren't good enough to win. You'd have, you you have The things you have to win right now, as bad as this offense is, you're now creeping into you've got to be able to score 30 points a game to win. Yes. Not game in and game out. And this offense isn't talented enough to do that, oh. obviously. Could Tom Brady, like I said, could he win a couple games? Sure. Because he's good enough to make a couple of throws that Andy has missed, or Andy did miss. But no, 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 no. Two, I'll give them two and six with Tom Brady.
0: That's exactly where I would have put it at, too. I think for the year, they'd probably win four games if Tom Brady yeah. was their quarterback. Um, how? What percentage of the fan base do you think agrees with that or knows that?
1: Oh, I think it's very small. I do, quarter, too. I because th- the quarterback's <laughs> always the easy part to say, fix that, replace that guy, and all's right with the world. It's, no. This def- people understand. This defense is bordering on one of the worst seasons in NFL history. And then you go, oh, Lou Anarumos. Look, there, there, this will be three coordinators in two years who've had the same personnel and the same results. At some point, I'm sorry, it's not on those guys. It's on the players. Yeah. Oh, They're this, just
0: not good enough. It's inc- It's unbelievable how bad, slow, uninterested those guys looked to start the the first half of that Ravens game. I mean, they were so slow to catch up to running backs and Lamar Jackson when they were getting through the hole. I mean, it's like you watch other NFL games. I mean, the, it's happening quick. My, guys are filling the hole and smacking you.
1: My guy, Paul Daner uh, from The Athletic, he came up with a stat, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, and it, didn't, it actually didn't come to fruition Sunday, and I'll give you a reason why in a second. The Bengals had a chance on Sunday if they'd have given up 460 yards of being – the only franchise in NFL history to give up 460 yards or more, I believe it's four games in a row, in back-to-back seasons. No other team had ever done it but one in one season before.
0: They tried to do it back-to-back years. Back-to-back years.
1: And the only reason it didn't happen Sunday is because of a pick six, that took some took offense, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown.
0: Yeah, it took away opportunities. They
1: still average 8.2 yards per play, which is the 10th most in an NFL game this season by by a team, so they... Still gave that up. The Bengals are, have three of the top 10 yards per game, y- yards per play games in the NFL this season. And and again, th- you point to this, it's the same guys as last year, and they sucked last year. They chose not to address it, and now you're paying for it. Yeah. The, the, the re-signing of Preston Brown is puzzling. I, I, I guess they thought that it was so, so much of last year was injury-related, and some of it was, but... My guys that play with Mark Andrews in coverage—that was the epitome of it, right there. You're going to put him in coverage against Mark Andrews.
0: Look, and you can tell me the defensive line is is not as good as they were. They've lost a step. I don't know that. what's the going on there. Just that... Average, but they have given up. They are not trying at this point because those dudes stink. They're doing nothing. They aren't
1: doing much. That's for sure. That's for They're sure. They're
0: not that bad. They haven't lost that many steps. I agree with you.
1: I, I, I that that part's the one that puzzles me the most.
0: All right, Skinny, we'll stick with the uh, quarterback conversation for one more question here. Um, Again, a lot of focus has been put on this upcoming draft. Do you prefer the elite quarterbacks in this year's draft class with Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow, or the 2021 draft class with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields?
1: I like this one better. Um... I wrote a column, and I know Ohio State fans got mad at me because I said I wouldn't draft Wayne Haskins. I just think he's a product of the system. There's just so many. I mean, honestly, playing quarterback at Ohio State is really easy. I mean, you drop back, and you've got eight years to throw it. Your team runs it whenever it wants to run it. Defenses can't stop any of it. So I I can't evaluate an Ohio State quarterback. I know you can say the same thing about Alabama and Tua, but yeah. Tua's got a big boy arm, people. He's got, he's got major arm talent.
0: Really, see, I he to me he is the the thing I like about Tua is that I think he can read defenses. Like he looks and to he's me got like a he's making and, a, and he's got touch. See, I don't think he has an elite arm. Oh, I, I think he just has an average. Like I mean, a, above average. The one to me that's the just good. I, I want to call. I don't want to call him a flash
1: in the past. It's not fair. Joe Burrow, I have more questions on. I he's had too. a great year, and when you watch him, he's done it against top level competition, and he put up forty six on that Alabama defense. But I just don't know, man. It feels like this just kind of came out of nowhere. He and, might and, be and, great. And maybe that's Tom Brady,
0: right? He might be great. Maybe he's Tom Brady. Maybe he's one of those types of guys. But when I look at him, first of all, coming into the year, people are talking about him as like second or third round. Second, oh yeah. Yeah. Second of all, when I look at him, I just don't see the attribute. He's not an He's not a can't-miss prospect to me. Yeah. And, and that and that's more so when I look at this question, I see everyone talking about the big debate now is do the should the Bengals go for a quarterback right now in this draft class knowing that they have a top overall pick, probably the number one overall pick, or do you want to build up a team, You know, take a guy like Chase Young from Ohio State, get a playmaker on the defensive side, try to build that up, try to build your offensive line, and then go for a franchise quarterback in the 2021 draft. When I look at the two draft classes, I get why people say if you have the chance to take your guy, the the franchise quarterback, that's the most important piece to get, and when you know you're going to be drafting number one overall, if your guy is there, you go get him. I do understand that. I just, when I look at the two draft classes – I don't. I'm not sold on any of these guys. Tua would be my favorite. Justin Herbert really does nothing for me. Jake Fromm from Georgia to me is David Carr yeah, not, for nothing for me.
1: Jake Fromm actually Jacob Eason from from Washington who used to be at Georgia does
0: more for me than Jake Fromm does. I would agree with that. I like Eason. Joe Burrow has been awesome. I do like him. I think he is a gamer, and I think he could end up being a good quarterback. But I don't. He's not can't miss to me. I look at the the, the next year's draft. I'd I'd rather t- Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields to me both will like can't miss prospects. Uh, Justin Fields is not a can't miss in my opinion. I,
1: I can't I can't take an Ohio State. I can't do it. I'm to, sorry. I can't to do me, it. I he can't at do
0: least it. has the attributes.
1: Wayne Haskins looked like he had the attributes too. What's going well, on with him? He,
0: but he wasn't but he wasn't near the athlete that Justin Fields was and I don't I'll I don't think that, people saw him as an accurate of a passer. He had the big arm, but I don't think he was as accurate as Justin Fields was as a prospect. Mm, maybe. But either way, I mean, what's what's wrong with Trevor Lawrence compared to those guys? Uh,
1: th- this year it feels like he's 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 been he's been more careless with the football. And maybe it's been. just because he realizes I can try to make a tight window throw and if it doesn't work, we're still fine. We're going to win 37 to 5, whatever. Yeah, I think um, he's gotten a
0: little overconfident. I think
1: some of that and um, the guy's a winner and I will give him that part of it. He is a winner. Um, if you want to look Deshaun Watson popped out of that same, same system and has done quite well in the NFL. I mean, I, I, I got to look at some of that stuff too. I got to look at where, where are you coming from and why is, or is, are, are guys having success? I'm with you. I think if it's, if it's, if it's, if I'm the Bengals and I have judged that one of the three guys in this draft is the guy at number one, then I have to take him. But if I'm wishy washy, kind of like you are right now, I I think I'm trading back, still knowing I'm trading back to, to, to knowing that maybe the team behind me wants a quarterback, and I'm going to trade. You got to you got to read the market. Maybe you trade back to the fourth or fifth, and because the, the top three guys, after you move everybody up, they want these three quarterbacks, and you still get Chase Young, and then you still get more picks. You got to you got to play the game.
0: Yeah. The, the one thing we've seen is, and
1: at the very worst, I know this is going to sound odd, you still have Andy Dalton as a bridge guy if you need him for another year. If Ryan Finley doesn't work out. And then you can go to next year's draft and take your guy next year's draft, maybe.
0: Yeah, and I think that would kind of be my strategy going in. I don't. The Bengals very rarely want to trade draft picks. We've just seen that, even regardless of what situation they're in, they just don't want to make a trade. So it's hard for me to even think about that. I'd be interested in talking trading back, but I also, I mean, Chase Young to me is a generational talent. He's I think ridiculous. he's a like, can't miss game changing defensive prospect. As bad as this defense is. I think you've got to start building up some infrastructure before you go get your next quarterback. Yes, you're going to get Jonah Williams back on the offensive line.
1: The, the, the only thing I'll disagree with, it, with you on is it the, the, feels like the key anymore is get that rookie quarterback on the rookie deal and then build around him. The problem is you have to do that in free agency, which they're not very willing to do. So for them, it would take another two or three drafts to build things up, and then guess what? Your rookie quarterback is, is no, no longer, longer on, that on his deal. rookie deal.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think makes it tough. To me, I think... The Bengals kind of had their roster rolling in the right direction when they got Carson Palmer. It wasn't great, but it was starting to come around. You saw, okay, there's a guy or two here on the defensive side. They've got two or three linemen now that are solid NFL linemen. It's
1: unfortunate they drafted Odell Thurman, drafted David Pollock, and they were going to be cornerstones on defense. Unfortunately, Odell wigged out, and David Pollock broke his neck. I mean, that's just terrible luck. But for one year, Odell Thurman was really, really good.
0: Right, and so they had some infrastructure building towards – a stable NFL franchise before they got their their franchise quarterback. To me, I think with the way this franchise operates, not going out and making any moves in free agency, not trading guys at deadline, stuff like that, that's probably going to be the way they have to do it, is give yourself a chance with a competitive offensive line, a competitive defense, and then you get your franchise quarterback. And if you you hit hit it big and you get that, that true stud quarterback, well, then you've got something. Right.
1: Right. Uh, it, it is. I, I just think, though, you still have to you have to evaluate and if for whatever reason, two is your guy or Justin Herbert's your guy or Joe Burrow's your guy and you're number one. Then I think you take your guy.
0: Yeah. And I think that's fair. That probably it. Look, if you have but if two, you're
1: wishy washy and I get why everybody's wishy washy at all of them.
0: If you have two upgraded mm-hmm. as clearly the best guy over the next two years, take him like I get that and I'm fine with that. But I I personally don't have it that way. What do you think about these quarterback prospects from what you've seen?
1: I love Tua. I, 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 I thought I thought Saturday he showed me more than Joe Burrow showed me, to be honest with you. wow. I mean, and I thought Joe Burrow was great Saturday. I just thought he showed me more. I mean, to be out there on that ankle and continue to compete and make some big-time throws, that showed me a lot. Because the thing for Tua has been, he's great because everything around him is great. Well, everything was not around him great on Saturday. I mean, the defense was faltering. It became a shootout. Alabama's not used to shootouts. They're not in many shootouts. And him on that gimpy leg, it just showed me a lot. I'm just going to – I'll leave it at that. It showed me a lot, and I was a big fan of his before that.
0: All right, let's switch gears, Skinny, before we get to our betting picks and talk a little college basketball here for this last topic. The top-ranked freshman in college basketball and potential number 1 overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft has been deemed ineligible by the NCAA after his family allegedly accepted $11,500 from Penny Hardaway at the onset of his junior year of high school to move to Memphis. Shortly after news of Wiseman's ineligibility case became public knowledge, Hardaway and Wiseman appeared in a Shelby County, Tennessee court and got a judge to put an immediate temporary restraining order on the NCAA. The program then decided Wiseman will continue to play, and now we wait to see what the NCAA's next move will be. He played that night, an hour after an hour they after. got they got the uh, restraining order. He has played another game since then. They played Oregon, I believe, last night. Yeah, yeah. and they got blown out. Do you like Memphis' decision to ignore the NCAA's ruling on five-star freshman James Wiseman?
1: I do and I don't. I don't because you're rolling the dice that whatever games you win with him could become vacated, and then the NCAA, when it comes to tournament selection time, may have to look at you as a whatever a 7-19 team as opposed to a 19-7 team or whatever. Um, the same time, though, I don't know enough about all the, the, the rules as far as this went down, but if Penny Hardaway had a pre-existing relationship with James Wiseman before he became coach at Memphis, did he break a rule? I, I don't think so.
0: Penny Hardaway's relationship with James Wiseman doesn't predate James Wiseman being a recruitable athlete. Um, also, Penny was considered a booster for Memphis because he played there and that's he donated a, a bunch of money for a statue of himself right, that's years a good, ago. Yeah, that's a good call. So he was okay, defined yeah. in the insulate's Before mind. he was even a coach. Right. And so the fact that he helped them move to, by the way, play for his high school team, and this isn't like something that just became known. They already fought this in the courts, when they wanted him to play high school ball at Penny's High School that he was coaching at. So this has already been fought. It was well known. The NCAA said, yes, you're through the NCAA Clearinghouse to James Wiseman, but there are some issues here about this situation where your family moved that we need to look deeper into, or at least that's what the story is that's out there. They came back now right before that game, said that he is ineligible, and Memphis says, well— that's okay, we disagree with you, and we're going to play him anyway. And we've
1: had, we've, we've had wins vacated before, we're used to that.
0: Yeah, and now Memphis... Uh, we're
1: we- good with that, we're good with being 36-2 and two and then having a, an O and whatever record. Sure, we've had that happen before. Wiseman's
0: lawyer is trying to play it like that's not exactly how it went down. He's trying to act like the NCAA ruled him eligible and then just randomly popped this up midway through the season... Memphis, though, when they originally released the uh, the notice saying that James Wiseman has been ruled ineligible, they kind of mentioned the fact that they had already been told that there were some issues the NCAA would be looking into and that they were working together with the NCAA on those issues. So the interesting thing about this is I think it's clear cut that James Wiseman did violate NCAA rules and he is ineligible, and other, you
1: sticking a middle finger up at the NCAA probably isn't the best thing to do.
0: Other guys have had the same situation, and usually they get docked a year. They sit out for a year, and they if they're like James Wiseman, they just go on and play. I mean, Enos Cantor, it's kind of a similar situation yep. there when you think about it. Um, this is really interesting, though, because at the end of the day, if you're Memphis, I, I, it doesn't really seem like the NCAA has anything they can do right now until after the season is over if they want to say, okay, we're taking back – your banners that you won, vacating any wins you had, something like that. But if you're Memphis, do you really care that your Derrick Rose Final Four got taken away? Or do you still have all those wins and all that money and all that clout from when it happened?
1: Yeah, I think that's the way you have to look at it. I I, I would look at it as I'd be embarrassed to have wins vacated, not just once, but multiple times over, what, a decade span? That's pretty embarrassing.
0: I think most colleges would feel that way, and that's why immediately. So it's it's interesting because on the football side of things, we have the number 1 NFL prospect and Chase Young getting ruled ineligible for a similar thing. His girlfriend was given money to fly out to right. watch him play uh, last year, and Ohio State immediately said, "Yep, yeah, okay, you're right. We wait till we get this sorted out. We're going to sit him and we won't play him. We don't want to screw with this." It's really interesting to see a school just say, "You know what? We really don't care that you're yeah, ineligible. It, 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 There's nothing you can do until after the season anyway. So we're going to try to make a run at a national championship." I, if you're in Memphis's position. It's probably not, like, what the fans want to hear.
1: They just want to watch you win games, right?
0: I think, yeah, if you're a Memphis fan, probably. But, like, I think most, like, sports fans will think this is, like, a bad look and it's a disgrace and everything else. And like you said, they'll be making fun of how sleazy it is and everything else. But at the end of the day, like, if you're trying to think about what's actually best for your program, there's nothing better than... Winning games, being in NCAA tournaments, making a run, in terms of just getting notoriety for your program and recognition and recruiting. I like I don't think Derek Rose and that in I don't that think. Whole he cares. No, he doesn't care, but I don't think that ever hurt Memphis. Like, did that take away from the recruiting when that happened? No. I think Derek Rose playing for them and getting them to a final four rose the, the status of their program. More so than it, it, he docked them when he finally got those those games vacated.
1: Yeah, but a couple of years later, they started to go back downhill pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, but they had a lot more to do with John Calipari left and they didn't hire a coach yeah. that was competent to replace him. Yeah,
1: I, I mean I may give you that. In uh, this Josh case, I, I don't I, yeah, I don't know if, if Penny's, can, Penny can coach either.
0: Yeah, we don't know that. I mean, this Memphis thing could be a disaster, by the way. I mean, they yeah. got smoked by Oregon. They haven't looked convincing at all so far. And, and I think there's a decent chance this whole thing will blow up. But... At the same time, I get where they're coming from. They're like, hey, we've got this once in a – this is why you hired Penny Hardaway, by the way.
1: To get he, guys like that.
0: He yeah. had the connection. Yeah, the James AAU, connections. Yeah, so the AAU connection. So this is a big reason you brought him in was so you could get James Wiseman. Once you made that commitment, I, I, I kind of get why they're doing this. At the same time, I don't think you could find another college that would that would agree to do this. Here,
1: here's the thing. If, if this isn't decided until after the year, let's say they are a – Maybe not even a bubble team, but just barely above the bubble. Does the selection committee look and go, "No, we don't want you in here at all. Forget it."
0: Well, I, even more so. Let me be. Let me be a tinfoil hat, even more so on you in conspiracy theory. I think the NCAA probably tells them you're not putting that team in. <laughs> I think they get a strong directive from above.
1: Maybe, but what if it's a, what if it, what if the Oregon loss is the last loss they have?
0: Oh, well, then, I mean, Okay, that's not a debate. But, but, but if it becomes of...
1: debatable, then, oh, th- 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 oh, yeah, okay, okay.
0: To be clear, I think they'll be an NCAA tournament team, and I think they could be dangerous. So I do, too. And and I don't, from what I understand, like, I don't think the NCAA has anything they can do at this point other than just wait to, to take it. They're not the police. They're, you know, they're not right. the law. They can't right. go in and stop this from happening. I mean, I don't know if at some point they can do something where, like, Teams have to, they, they can tell teams you're not allowed to play Memphis with an ineligible player. That doesn't seem like that's an option. I'm,
1: no, I, and the whole vacated wins thing just becomes so mind numbing to me. I don't care. I don't think they care, right? I don't think they care at all. They just care about what they saw. Do you think Louisville cares its banners down? I'll be honest, I don't even go into arenas half the time and look at banners. I
0: really don't. No one does. No one cares if the banners are there. Now, like, UK and Louisville fans care because they argue back and forth about it. But other than that, Louisville fans do not care. They're thrilled that they got that opportunity.
1: Right, right.
0: And I don't blame them. All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting picks of the week. You got our records.
1: I do. I am seventy three, sixty five, and one after basically a close to five hundred week. I believe I was just a couple under five. What was I six and eight? If I'm not mistaken, six and eight. Yep. And you were seven and seven. You're now seventy nine, fifty nine, and one. You got a six game lead on me.
0: Yeah, and we we have two back to back weeks. We've been right around five hundred. Yep. Time to get back on. Time to the get back trail on the beam. Let's go. All right, let's go. College football first, and uh, we've got Bowling Green State at Miami of Ohio. and We talked about the Redhawks last week. They took control in the Mac East. Yep. So uh, this is a big game for them. They are favored by 17 and a half. The total is 50.
1: Miami's offense is so bad. On paper, I can't lay that big of a number. But Bowling Green's four road games this season, a couple, one was at Notre Dame, so you, you know you're overmatched there. But a couple of them include the Mac. They have gotten beaten by an average of 46 points a game in four road games. I'm going to go Miami- very convincingly 38 to 13 so they win cover and go over the total by one
0: well this isn't exactly my mo uh, but you hate I, you I'm, hate I'm, this because now you're gonna
1: you, you can't you can't in good conscience and good faith pick ball i guess you can if you want to lose a game they're, they're playing
0: pretty good football so i have come off my uh taking shots because i want to win bets and I'm going to take Miami and the over as well. I've got Miami 35, Bowling Green 17.
1: Very close to the number, though. Very Win by close. the half.
0: Just barely. Um, and that game is tonight, by the way, yeah, Wednesday we're, we're doing
1: that, Yeah, we're doing the podcast on a Wednesday, and it is a Wednesday
0: night game. So that brings us to Saturday. We've got Cincinnati at South Florida. The Bearcats are favored by two touchdowns in that game. 49 is the total.
1: Um UC's not played great on the road. ECU, obviously, was it was life and death to win. Houston, they weren't great on the road in that game. They did play well at Marshall coming off of a bye. South Florida's got enough dudes, I think, to, to make this competitive, but I still think UC is, is much the better team. I'll go Bearcats, 27-20. So, South Florida in the under for me. But UC wins it outright.
0: Yeah, I... One, I really like what UC's offense has been doing the last basically four weeks or whatever. They seem to have this thing rolling. I don't see any way that the South Florida defense is going to stop UC and get the win. Um, UC on the road concerns me a little bit. I'm still going to go with the Bearcats to cover though. I'm going to go 34-14. So UC covers. They win by 20, and uh, it, it stays under.
1: It stays under. Wow. Yeah.
0: All right. And that, this one's crazy. Saturday, I mean, Skitty, I thought 43 and a half was too much.
1: Vegas is trying. They're trying to get you to play the other side. They are. Is this number at least make you consider? Give them the number. Ohio State, 52.
0: This game is at Rutgers. The total is 61. (sighs) I'll let you go first. Of course I'm betting it. I mean, why would you not? I know. I'm also taking the over. First half line. First half line. First half line. Ohio State is going to cover the over by themselves. I'm going Ohio State, 63. Rutgers, 3. So that's Ohio State, and the over. Skinny, you bring up a really interesting point with Ohio State, though, that I I am kicking myself for not taking advantage of all year. The
1: first half lines.
0: For Ohio State, that seems like a given, right? Yeah,
1: because it's usually cut in half, or at least close to it. Um, how many,
0: how th- many games have they been held under 35 this year in the first half? Uh, not many. Not
1: many. Michigan State was one. They, they were held th- under 35 for the game. But, yeah, not many. And I think with, with this past Saturday show, because they pulled they pulled all their starters at the half. and yeah. played second and third string guys. And still outscored... Maryland, 31-14. to 14. They're, they're going to pile on the points in this one, too. It, the scary part is, when that happens, you're like, oh, my gosh, man. They built up that big lead. They're going to kind of sit on their hands.
0: Not with this I, team.
1: I, I, I probably will not play this one. I know you've been on the Ohio State train I'm all year, and I get it. I 52 is just too rich for my blood. That being said, Buckeyes, 59-7, the final score, Ohio State in the over. Ohio, actually, I'll go 59-6. Rutgers goes for two because they're stupid. Uh, so Ohio State covers by a point, and it uh, stays over.
0: Rutgers goes for two because they are stupid. stupid. All right. Kentucky at Vanderbilt. I love this game. I love this line. This is the best. Kentucky only favored by 10 in this game. The total, 43.5. Now, if the Wildcats let me down in this one, I have been betting against Vanderbilt all year. They don't cover anything. Just
1: lost, what was it, 56-0 to Florida, 52-0 to Florida?
0: (laughs) Yes, the fact that this is only a 10-point spread is crazy to me. I know it's Kentucky on the road. I've got to take the Wildcats as my lock this week. I'm going Kentucky 27, Vanderbilt 14. So it's UK and the under. I honestly think Kentucky will win by a bigger spread than that, but I think Vegas is playing mind games with me, only having that 10-point spread. So I brought my score down a little bit closer for you.
1: Yeah, um... I don't know if I can trust Kentucky on the road either, but, boy, Vandy's so bad. So K- bad. Kentucky is playing for its bowl life. It's got to win two of the last three, and they're all three winnable games. It's Vandy, uh, UT Martin, and um, or Murray State, one of the two, I'm drawing a blank, and Louisville.
0: And this so, Vanderbilt team has given up.
1: This Vanderbilt team is trash. Um, just coming off, I think, a 56 nothing loss to Florida. They're just bad. I, Kentucky I, – it's the, do you, do you still feel sorry for yourself the way you lost to Tennessee or do you snap out of it and realize we still got something to play for, which is a bowl bid, seven win, maybe eight win if you win the bowl game season. I think they do bounce back. It's not going to be a great Vandy crowd. I think you'll actually have a bunch of Kentucky people that will go down as usual. I'll go UK 27 to 10. So I'm almost the same as you. Um, I got Kentucky and the under.
0: All right. And that takes us to our NFL picks for the week. And we'll start. With the Thursday game, and that's Pittsburgh at Cleveland. The Browns are favored by two and a half here. The total is 40.
1: Usually when you see the two and a half, they are begging you to take the home team laying less than a field goal, right? Because right. it just looks so easy. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's pittsburgh been playing so much better. They've won, what, five of their last six, um, and the lone loss was in overtime to the Ravens. I, I want to go Cleveland here because I think they do find a way at home to win, but the way Pittsburgh's playing, it's, it's, it's hard not to. I'm going to go... I'm going to go Steelers. I'm going to regret this. I know. I'd probably would tease Pittsburgh up. I'll go Pittsburgh 23-20, so Steelers and the over for me.
0: I was really thinking you were going to go Cleveland here, and I thought yeah, the- I was going to have the contrarian pick with the Steelers, but I agree with you. I think, first of all, the 2.5 line just is begging you to take Cleveland, and second of all, the Steelers, this is classic Cleveland, They need this game. Yep. This is an important game for them. And Pittsburgh and they smacks them. Right, and they will not have their stuff yep. together. They will not beat the Steelers. I'm going Pittsburgh 28, Cleveland 24. So that's Pittsburgh and the over as well. We're both on the same pick there. And that takes us to Sunday at 425. We've got the Bengals at Oakland. The Raiders are favored by 10.5. The total is 48.5.
1: Oakland's got something to play for now. I mean, they are very much in the playoff hunt, and they're they're playing wow. pretty decent. Um, they still have some holes on defense, but not enough holes that Ryan Finley and this pitiful offense can, can exploit. This is an easy one for me, to be honest with you. I'll go Oakland 31-13. So Oakland and the under.
0: Yeah, we're pretty close on that. The only difference is I'm actually going to say that this Bengals defense is not capable of holding an under. So uh, I'm I'm going to go Oakland 38, Bengals 14, Oakland in the over.
1: Okay, there we go.
0: And that takes us to the Sunday night game where we have the Chicago Bears taking on the L.A. Rams. Two disappointing teams. Rams are favored by six in the hook. The total is 41.
1: Well, Mitch Trubisky, is coming off a game in which he threw three touchdown passes, albeit against Detroit. Detroit's not very good defensively, but maybe that gives him a little confidence. The Rams just are not the same offensively. They, they've they either been figured out. Some of it is their offensive line hasn't been very good. Jared Goff hasn't been very good. Um, I think I'm going to take, take the Rams to win this, but I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be very low scoring. I'll go Rams 19-16. Lots of field goals kicked in there. So I'm going to take Chicago plus the points and the under.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on the under, but... I just, I do not trust this Bears team. They're also on the road. The fact that that spread is only six and a half, I'm going to go with the Rams. I I think they get this one done. I'm going to say Rams 24, Bears 14. So that's Rams and the under. Um, But man, neither one, both of those teams are disappointing. We both like the under, obviously. Yeah, I agree. All right, that takes us to uh, Chiefs and Chargers Monday night football, Kansas City. At L.A., and the Chiefs are favored by three and a half. The total is 52 and a half.
1: Yeah, the Chargers play, it feels like every game they play is close. Um, well, in their last home game, they actually handled Green Bay pretty handily, but then went and lost the Thursday night game. Right. I think they need a little bit of extra rest. Um, they are at home. It's not a home-field advantage, really, because the crowd doesn't care about the Chargers in L.A. Um, but Kansas City also hasn't been playing very well of late, and their defense is not very good. So give me the Chargers in this one. 30-28, so the Chargers with an outright win, and it goes over.
0: All right, yeah, I'm on the other side here. I like the Chiefs to win 31-24, so that is the Chiefs in the over. Okay, there you go. All right, and that takes us to our college basketball lines, where uh, we will start giving you our record on these games as well as we continue. But it starts off with the Thursday night game between Cincinnati and Alabama AM. and the total for that game is 132. The Bearcats at home are favored by 34.
1: Yeah, I'm going to. That's a big, big number, especially when a lot of guys you would be bringing off the bench in garbage time prior aren't capable of putting up big offensive numbers. I don't know why. I'll go UC 81 53. So UC in the over. I mean, I'm sorry, Alabama AM in the over. UC by 28. All right, that's a big number. If it's, at, I mean, we'll see if it comes to fruition like that. But that's a huge number.
0: It is a big number. I also think uh, the Vegas is a little off on this UC team right now because they're combining UC's history along with that Ohio State game, which looked ugly and low yep. scoring. I think this UC team will play faster and will score more points against some of these bad teams than than uh, Vegas is expecting. So I'm going UC 90, Alabama AM 54. So UC covers and it goes over. Okay. Um, and then we've got Xavier hosting Missouri State Friday night. The Musketeers are favored by 17 in that game. The total is 133.
1: I know nothing about Missouri State. Um, Pretty
0: good team. I, they're yeah, picked up finish at the top of, of the, the other Missouri conference. Valley. Yeah,
1: I'll I'll, I'll go. Xavier's going to win it, but I, I think until they prove to me they can do some good things offensively, it's hard to pick such a big number. I'll go X, 71-59, so give me X in the under.
0: Yeah, that feels like the smart play. I think a lot of people are going to be taking unders in X games and then also having X not cover a lot of spreads. because Especially big number spreads. Right, when they're when they're facing these bye teams. But Xavier has not shot the ball well yet. You feel, at you, some, feel it, you feel it coming? At some point, percentages are going to catch up to a certain extent at home, and it's probably going to happen against one of these bad teams who can't really defend all that well. I'm going to say Mr. Missouri State catches some of the brunt of that. Xavier wins 80-60, to 60, so that's Xavier and the over. Okay. And that takes us to Sunday afternoon. We've got the matinee special, Coppin State, At NKU, the total in this game is 145. The Norse are a 19-point favorite.
1: Let me ask you a question about Coppin State. Is Fang Mitchell still the coach?
0: You know, Skinny, I knew you were going to ask me that. I
1: love Fang Mitchell. I loved him back in the day. He was my guy. It doesn't matter whether he's the coach or not. Um, NKU had a nice road win. We didn't talk about it very much. Coastal Carolina?
0: Really nice win. Yeah. Really nice win. They played uh Missouri very just well just couldn't on score the road. just
1: couldn't score enough
0: well you know that more so than even that is they had no inside presence right. and no one that could match up with Jeremiah Tillman 6'10" 2- right. 260 and a legit player probably all Big East this year um they are a very small team but in the Horizon League I think that worked Dantes Walton played great really encouraged with what I saw from him Tyler Sharp was great in the Missouri game and the Coastal Carolina game that's the type of game that they need to go on the road and win if they're going to you know, compete with their conference and compete yes. to win the Horizon yes. League. So that's a really nice game. I'm really impressed with what I've seen from Darren Horn's guys this early on in the process, the way they've sort of kept that chemistry going from last year and implemented some of the new pieces.
1: Uh, I'll let you pick first.
0: All right. I like the Norse here, and I'm going to stay on my overtrain. I've been all over so far since we switched to college basketball, and it continues here. I think uh, NKU pours it on, wins 89-65.
1: It's funny. I already wrote my score down before that. I'll go NKU, eighty two sixty five. They don't cover, but it does go
0: over. All right. So we both are on the over. I've got NKU to cover. You've yep. got Coppin State, and that takes us to our final game, which will actually be next week on Monday night. Uh, but before we record our next podcast, so we'll throw this one in here because we want to talk about those Wildcats. So it will be on what your boy Tony Pike would call. A get right game. Get
1: right game. Got to have the get right game.
0: Yeah, the Wildcats are favored by 26 at home. The total is 136. What do you think about that one, Skinny?
1: This feels very e- EKU like, does it not? Yeah. more so than Evansville. I mean, totally overmatched opponent. Well, uh, plus
0: them coming off a loss. Coming Let's off a loss, real.
1: get a little camp cow for the weekend, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's camp Cal already, man. Got, you you gotta, gotta bust it out early. You gotta start some camp cow. Do you uh, tweak yet? Uh, do you have to tweak yet?
1: You don't have the tweak yet? The, the, the tweak will be getting guys healthy. That's when the tweak will come. You gotta get oh, the yeah, get guys healthy right. first. Yeah, get guys healthy. You first. can't
0: tweak until be like. Maybe a month out of conference tournament time at the early. yeah, that's
1: about yeah, exactly. I'll go u k eighty four fifty three. so u k and the over actually.
0: yep. And I'm going u k eighty six, utah valley fifty eight. So that is u k and the over as well. So we are riding the same train on
1: that. One. all right. We will have those results for you next week. Best of luck for those of you that may be playing along with us. Because we'll be playing along ourselves. There we go. All right. Rick, I appreciate as always any final thoughts.
0: No. Uh, a reminder there on college basketball, we are using Ken Palm lines because yes. the lines don't come out yes. until the day of the game. So if you see any big inconsistencies from the line we gave and what you get on Vegas when they come out, you may want to hop on it. Take advantage of that. I've done that well uh, early on in the season. And also, if you guys, I got some complaints recently because we've stopped doing our off the rails subjects at the end. If you guys have topics you want us to break down for we'll you, be more than happy we'll be to. happy to do it. We just, we felt like we were wasting time talking about silliness at times,
1: but so, I like silliness. Silliness I, is good. We love silliness. We'll get back to silliness. But we
0: want to talk about your guys' silliness.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, send us your silliness, and we'll talk about it. All right. Well, don't forget our college basketball podcast coming up here in uh, a few weeks as well uh, with Chad Brendel. So uh, be be listening for that. We'll of course give you some notice of that. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Skinny Podcast with Rick broing the Weekly Pope Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet.